Blog Talk Radio. Tonight is the seventh night of Hanukkah, and here to sing a Hanukkah song is Adam Chandler. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, well, uh, when, when I was a kid, uh, th- th- this time of year always always made me feel a little left out because uh, uh, in school there were so many Christmas songs and all us Jewish kids had was the song Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. And uh, so uh, I wrote a brand new Hanukkah song for you Jewish kids to sing and I hope you like it. <laughs> Put on your yarmulke, here comes Hanukkah. So much Hanukkah to celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of light. Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. <laughs> but when you feel like the only kid in town without a Christmas tree, here's a list of people who are Jewish, just like you and me. <laughs> David Lee Ross lights the menorah. So do Kirk Douglas, James Kahn, and the late Dinah Shura. Guess who eats together at the Carnegie Deli? Bowser from Shanana and Arthur Fonzarelli. Paul Newman's half Jewish and Goldie Hawn's half too. Put them together, what a fine looking Jew. <laughs> You can spin a dreidel with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, both Jewish. <laughs> Put on your yarmulke, here comes Hanukkah, the owner of the Seattle Supersonica. Celebrate Hanukkah. O.J. Simpson, not a Jew. <laughs> but guess who is? Hall of Famer Rod Carew. He, he converted. <clears throat> we got Ann Landers and her sister, dear Abby. Harrison Ford's a quarter Jewish, not too shabby. (laughs) Some people think that Ebenezer Scrooge is. Well, he's not, but guess who is? All three Stooges. (laughs) So, so many Jews are in show. But I think his agent is <laughs> Tell your friend Veronica It's time to celebrate Hanukkah I hope I get a harmonica On this lovely, lovely Hanukkah So drink your gin and tonica But don't smoke marijuana If you really, really want to Have a happy, 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 happy Hanukkah Happy Hanukkah, everybody Thank you Live from Chicago and Las Vegas, you're tuned in to the show that's always on top of what's trending. It's Page One with LaVar and Mary on Blog Talk Radio.
And what's going on, everyone? Happy Friday. We have made it. And to all of our friends celebrating Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights across the country and around the world, may these eight days bring you peace, joy, and meaningful reflection. Good evening. It's page one on this December 11th. And here from Chicago, yours truly, LeVar, and of course, my wonderful friend, Mary, who is out in Vegas. How are you? Good, good, good. Happy Hanukkah to everyone. Yay! You know, I know there's a few different versions of the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler. Uh, He did more in recent years, but that was the first one back in 1994. So... Because, of course, you can tell by the many names that were listed that are some who are no longer with us. But uh, I know I saw a clip the other day uh, when he was on Cohen O'Brien. He said after the first one became so popular, there were so many people that would stop him and want him to add them to the song, which is why every other year he kind of updated it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, our uh, contribution here tonight. But uh, wonderful to always hear that. And <laughs> it was either that or dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made you happy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So for all of you celebrating, definitely uh, happy Hanukkah. And there's a lot of things to discuss tonight. I'm hoping we can fit this all in. This actually might be a, what. Uh, remember those uh, NBC used to do those supersized episodes uh, of the Thursday night show from time to time. Could wind yeah, up being a super. I, I don't know. Uh, bear with me. Uh, but as promised, uh, tonight there will be a big announcement as to one of our first shows of 2021. Um, sometime during this hour. I'm not going to tell you when. You'll have to listen to the show. Maybe at the end. Maybe in the middle. Maybe in the next minute. You don't know. <laughs> um, but I will tell you, if you're listening to us at this time, uh January 1, we will be at a different time, one hour earlier, starting January 1st. Uh, this show moves, well, it's still going to stay on Friday nights. Uh, it's the best night for both Mary and I. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this show will move to 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central. Uh, prime time, if you're out in the West, 7 o'clock on Friday nights. Because mm. we're old. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have coming up uh, December 23rd, don't we? Yes! I'm so excited! You can tell the folks. I have a list. I have a list. <laughs> it's the best of it for the rest of us. I've got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will have our festivist show on Wednesday, December 23rd. 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central. Make sure that you're tuned in. We're here on a rare Wednesday night, but I, I know, uh, it's you know throughout the week. Miracle. I can't remember the last time we did a show throughout the week. But didn't we used to do it's this show on like time. on a Tuesday or something? I thought it was a Thursday, but I could be. Yeah, it could have been Tuesday. I don't know. I don't I, remember. I'm old. <laughs> I don't remember these things. We've done so many of these. I, I, I swear we used to. I know I did. I, I think I've done a show pretty much on every night of the week in 10 years of doing this, because I know we've done Sunday shows. We've done Fridays. I think we've done a few Saturdays, uh, and I think we used to do shows throughout the week, but I, I have to go back mm-hmm. and actually look. Um, so the Fastest Show, 
make sure you're tuned into that on Wednesday night, December 23rd. Uh, also, 401 Lounge, Sunday, December 27th, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Maserati Monaco will be here. Um, and then, like I said, I'm going to tell you about the next show for January 2021, which, uh, yeah, pretty excited about. Uh, also today, I have like a whole – this is sad. I have like a whole list of things in front of me, and if you saw my desk right now where I'm broadcasting from, uh, before I forget it. He's pulling one by one. Right, right. <laughs> um, today is National <laughs> App Day, uh, National Salesperson Day, National Noodle Ring Day. Uh, tomorrow will be Gingerbread House Day, <laughs> <laughs> Poinsettia Day. Uh, National Ambrosia Day, and then on the 13th, it'll be National Cocoa Day, National Violin Day, National Day of the Horse, the National Guard's Birthday, and Pick Up Pathologist Pal Day. Uh, I know I am skipping over one for tomorrow. Because uh, <laughs> I'm going to giggle. That's it. I'm giggling already. I already. I already. So tomorrow's National Dingling Day. And it is not exactly what you think it is. (laughs) So don't go in trouble with the law and be like, but it's National Dingling Day. Don't do that. Play with my dingling. That's all you gotta say. (laughs) Right. The purpose of it is to call up folks that you haven't had a chance to talk to in a while. Which actually should be more often. We shouldn't even really need a day for it. Uh, Even if you don't have friends to call up, call up some family at least. It's the holiday season. So. But dingling. Why do they call it dingling day? National phone a friend day. No, because that's how the phone sound. So. Yeah, it's not national. (laughs) I mean it. For those kids who, you know, uh, weren't born in the last 20 years, the phone didn't make another it's, type of it's sound. The ringers, it's the ringtone that says old-fashioned on your phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, good. You know what? I'm, I'm kind of – I almost want to conduct an experiment, and I know there's probably some already online, but I want to, like, do <laughs> just, like, some noises and <laughs> – have someone young on to see if they know what it means. Yeah, to see what they know, to see if they know, or some phrases or something. Because I'd love to know, because I know, I think I told the story a long time ago. Uh, My niece, uh, one day I pulled the typewriter out of the uh, closet, and we have still an old typewriter with the the ribbon and the old Smith Coronas that were like manual and not electric uh, that came in a case and were really small. And we also have the electronic one uh, that came later in the 80s, which was a godsend because you could type an entire paper, set your paper in the machine, press the type button, and it would type it all out. Um, but broke out the typewriter for she had no clue how to work it, or even remotely start doing anything on it. Um, 
which was funny to watch. But I was like, I've stayed up many a night typing papers on this. <laughs> now, I'm, I, now, I would think, because your your daughter is a very smart young lady. If I pull the typewriter out, she would know what it is, right? Or she could deduct what it was. I wouldn't, I, I, it may not be an instant, oh, that's a typewriter, but she'd probably look at it, like hit a few keys and go, is this a typewriter? Or is this a word processor? Because I know I've talked about that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think she'd, she'd get there. It wouldn't be instant recognition like it would be with our generation. Um, right. But it would be, she would get there. Um, there are, I do know that there is, I couldn't tell you what YouTube channel it is, but there is a YouTube channel where they have like elders and uh, teens and youth and they talk about different like things that are happening. So they'll talk about like music or they'll talk about um, like what is this uh, technology and they actually go through and try to get someone to, or get the, uh, the youth. So they're, I want to say 10 and younger to start, and play the Oregon Trail game on the original computers where you had to turn it on where the switch was in the back of the computer. And if you started something wrong, the only way that you could turn on to reset it is to shut off the computer and turn it back on. And how do you get to the Internet? And they ask them all those questions. So they do have something out there like that on YouTube, but I couldn't tell you what channel it is because I can't think of it right now. But it's fun to watch because it's like, really? You don't know what that is? Wow. But it is what it is. It's, it's kind of like the channel with the two young men who listen to songs, older songs, for the first time and are amazed. Um, I was like, really? You never heard of that in all your years? I mean, even growing up, I mean, I heard, you know, songs as young as, God, three or four, I remember hearing, you know, different types of songs that I grew up on, still grew up on, still listen to, but go figure. Uh, there's a lot of breaking news this evening uh, for those of you who are following everything. And the first story tonight kind of uh, steps uh, hand in hand with that as we kind of get off and running here on the show. And um, it was an interesting article that came up uh, that stated, and the topic of it was, yes, your boss can fire you if you refuse to get a COVID vaccine. And it says that companies are considering uh, compulsory COVID vaccination requirements as a condition of employment. Under the law, an employer can force an employee to get vaccinated, and if they don't, fire them, according to a Dallas labor and employment attorney. Uh, anti-discrimination laws would enable uh, eligible employees to request an exemption from a company-wide coronavirus vaccine mandate. And, of course, as you heard, the uh, CDC uh, has authorized use uh, for the vaccinations now. Uh, but it's saying roughly four in 10 Americans said that they would definitely or probably not get a vaccine, according to a recent survey by the Pew Research Center. Uh, while this is higher than it was two months ago, uh, to achieve herd immunity, experts say that about 70% of the population needs to be vaccinated or have natural antibodies. Employees, however, may not be taking no for an answer. And the... Uh, one person who leads a Dallas labor and employment and who's attorney, he says clients range from companies in manufacturing to food and beverage industries that have been battered for months due to the pandemic. And a vaccine pretty much promises employers a return to some form of normal. 
and that one of his clients in the restaurant sector thinks that the compulsory inoculation requirement could be a game changer for business. They think that gives them a competitive advantage, pretty much saying to customers, hey, our restaurant's safe, all of our employees have been vaccinated. It may be in part a PR tactic, but they said it's totally within an employer's rights to implement this kind of requirement. And under the law, an employer can force an employee to get vaccinated, and if they don't take fit, fire them. And the article kind of goes on to talk about the exceptions, because uh, it says that if a workforce is unionized, a collective bargaining agreement may require negotiating with the union before mandating it. Uh, anti-discrimination laws also provide some protections under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Workers who don't want to be vaccinated for medical reasons are eligible to request an exemption. And then also if it's a sincerely held religious belief, they too would be able to opt out. And I think I kind of mentioned this in passing uh, a few months ago when we talked about a possible uh, uh, possible vaccine coming along. So I'm going to ask you the question here tonight. <laughs> I, have a, I have a feeling I think I know what your answer is going to be. But do you think that jobs will have, or should they? Well, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna spread this out. Should they have the right to have or tell all their employees that they should be vaccinated in order to work there? And can a lot of those, or do you think a lot of those jobs will have uh, overall uh, kind of a right down the line to say, "Hey, look, uh, we kind of have the right to have our employees, you know." Vaccinate, and if you don't, you just don't work here. Uh, should is is an awful word. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, they shouldn't have the right to force anybody to do anything against their will. Um, however, and here's the big however in that statement, um, a lot of businesses are small. Most of the businesses are either huge or they're mom and pop kind of even even the ones that are franchisees are mom and pop owned. Um, so you're looking at local small businesses. We have one great example where a local business that was surviving really well, considering um, it was doing a lot of takeout, it was doing a lot of curbside, it was doing a lot of delivery. Um, it was a mom and pop little breakfast lunch place that actually survived the shutdown. One person contracted the virus recently and because they were in close contact regardless of having masks with the other people that were working there the entire business has had to be shut down until they're done with quarantine because the the place only has four people in it and they're always there Um, so it's, it's situations like that where I don't see how a business wouldn't say if you're going to be working here you have to have the vaccine for those smaller businesses, absolutely. For some of the larger businesses, absolutely. I could see that happening because they can have they have enough workforce that they can just kind of, the, you know, one light bulb goes out, you just threw in another one. Um, so I see that happening. Should it happen that way? No, not necessarily. Is it going to happen? Probably. Is it going to happen right away? No, because not enough vaccines are going to be available. So there's not going to be a way to be able to enforce that. And there's a lot of new litigation and a lot of new laws that are going to have to be written in in order to do that. 
collective bargaining agreements for places like, like Vegas, where there's a lot of unions that are in place to do that are going to take time. So it, it, it's going to have, it's going to have some impact. I do know uh, a lot of people that work uh, in the front lines. Um, I do. I know a lot of people that are first responders, and I know uh, a good uh, chunk of them. I'm not going to say majority because I couldn't tell you majority or not, but I know a good chunk of them that don't want to be, in, in, their, in their own words, the guinea pig for a vaccine. I see that as well. So I, I see. I see this kind of like people trying so that we can get back to normal and grasping at the straws so they can get back to normal and kind of get back to where we used to be. Um, but I also see a lot of trouble in the, uh, in the process of doing that because right. this vaccine came out so quickly because it's going to be pushed out to so many people in a tiered system. Um, it's not going to be widely available because it's going to be limited because of the way that you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of moving parts that haven't been put in motion yet, and we're just making a lot of assumptions before anything's even really hit the ground running. Um, luckily, a few people have had the vaccine, not in the U.S., but I know that we've had, had a few people get the vaccine in other countries, so I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. sits back and watches those as well and sees what happens with that. So well, that was my, that was my, my professional answer. You have another one? <laughs> I always have another one, but it's never good for TV. So no. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and, and, and no, I I am in agreement. No jobs aren't going to have that right because if you look now, they don't have an overall mandate for employers employees getting flu shots. So. I don't see how you're going to have it with COVID shots, but, but COVID I shots do are not see probably COVID something as to where, huh? The COVID shots are not like flu shots. Flu shots yeah, no, are not, not vaccines. Like, they don't not, go in once. And... Yeah. But where, where I'm going with this is that it's not like that, but I have a feeling that if someone does come down with COVID, I could see something where jobs will probably – look a little more negatively because you got it and you could have avoided it with the vaccine. I don't know what they'll do, but um, it's going to be a sticky wicket, and I don't think it's going to fly for them to force somebody because then you're going to have a lot of lawsuits that are going to be courts for years to come um, because we're already seeing, and I think we saw, I think we did a story a while back, uh, if I recall, not on the COVID side, but you remember back when there was the parent, I think, in Seattle that was suing because the school system wanted her child to have their shots before the school year. And she was like, nope. And they pretty much were like, well, then I guess you're not coming back to school here. Um, mm-hmm. And then she decided to put in a lawsuit. I don't know whatever became of that lawsuit, um, but I don't know how you could mandate that. But there's a... I don't know. You know, when I thought about this today, because somebody asked me, would you get the shot? And (laughs) we're all going to be family here. Um, I am a little bit on the fence. A part of me says, yeah, because I know that I have particular underlying health conditions 
and I have to be very careful. And if something happens, I don't know if I will be okay if I get it. And I know that if I can avoid it and if there's a shot, that part of me says yes. But the other part of me thinks back historically, and this is the one issue, and I know people are going to like, oh, Lord, he's going to bring this up. But believe it or not, the issue that they're going to have with this vaccine, and while I know they want to have, and I'm kind of going off on a different tangent here from the story, but the issue that they're going to have, and I've seen it on the news this week, is in some urban communities. Because there are a lot of people who are skeptical of how it will react uh, with them. And I would hope that the CDC comes out or who or Pfizer or whoever uh, comes out uh, with some case studies uh, that show a reactionary period. Actually, my sister, uh, who has had some uh, inner health issues with certain things, was told, don't take it. <laughs> this is why a doctor, don't take it. Um, but I don't know. It's going to be one of those things where I think, it, you know, we're we're glad to see the people who really need to get it are going to get it first. This isn't something that's done all willy-nilly. And I'm, and I'm happy for that because definitely our front line should get it first. Definitely our elderly and those who are high risk should get it first. I just hope and pray that, you know, uh, with everything that was done to get this done, that this works out well and it works out as to where there's no question about it. And if we can lean on that as something that will help save lives, we'll all take it if need be. But, yeah, as for jobs forcing it, no, that's not going to fly. Uh, I know that for a fact because I do too many people that didn't want to do flu shots when jobs offered them. <laughs> I know for sure they are not going to take uh, a shot just because your job is saying that you have to do it because that kind of infringes on everything. You know, your job can make you work. Yes. <laughs> but they can't make you do things, especially when it comes to uh, your health or anything else. So uh will be an interesting study to uh, watch here in the next few days. Of course, that's breaking more tonight because of its approval. Um, man, we're coming up already on the first half hour of the show. Um, mm-hmm. This may be one of those shows where some things get switched around this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> I didn't expect the first half hour to kind of go this fast. Um, usually at this point, you will probably hear my commentary. I will tell you tonight, I don't have one this week. But I will kind of give a couple of uh, – I do want to give a, uh, a remembrance here because this week uh, baseball has had like a really tough loss this week. Uh, Dick Allen, who uh, was one of the – probably on that list of maybe the best players uh, in the 1970s, late 60s, early 70s, died Monday at 78. But it was one of those things when he passed away, it kind of brought to light something that Major League Baseball still has an issue with. And pretty much that is honoring people for the Hall of Fame while they're still living. He had the 19th he was the 19th best hitter of all time at the time when he retired. Seven-time All-Star, 1972 AL MVP, 
And a lot of people thought immediately of Ron Santo. And you being a Cubs fan, you definitely know the whole deal Mm -hmm. of people who for years had wanted Ron Santo to get into the Hall of Fame while he could still be alive to enjoy it. And, of course, we all know that, unfortunately, that was not the case, and Ron didn't get a chance to do that. And a lot of people now are saying that, unfortunately, it looks like that Dick Allen will likely suffer the same fate because of the way that the Veterans Committee is pretty much uh, set up. And a lot of people were saying that the rejection of the racism that he faced as a black man in Philadelphia back then meant that writers and opponents at that time labeled him as a malcontent. And fans hurled so many projectiles at him that in 1966, a season in which he finished fourth in MVP voting, he began wearing a batting helmet even in the field. Uh, That goes to show you how much that he had to put up with. And the Hall of Fame, pretty much at this point, was supposed to vote this year for its Veterans Committee and didn't. They held off because of COVID. And they've not announced yet who will be on the 2021 Golden Days ballot, but joining him in the 2014 voting were Tony Oliva, who's now 82 years old, Jim Catt, who's now 82, Maury Wills, who's now 88, and Louis Tiant, who's now 80. And anyone who's not elected next December will have to wait until 2026 to even be considered again. And Linda Santos said it best this week when she said, can they find a process to put these older guys at the front of the line? I mean, the ones who should have been in during the sports writers vote. And, you know, I think back to Buck O'Neill, who was probably one of the game's great ambassadors, who did so much for the game. And if you ever watched Ken Burns' baseball, Buck O'Neill is stamped all over it. And as much as he did for the game, he was not honored by the game in the Hall of Fame until after he died. But what baseball does is sometimes what we all do is that we take for granted the legends and the legendary people that we have out here in our lives And it brings the question, why don't we honor them while they can still enjoy it? So for Dick Allen, who may get eventually what he longed to get, unfortunately he will not be around to see it, I would say for all of you who have a chance to honor those in your life who have meant so much and are Hall of Fame to you, honor them while they can still be around and enjoy it, while they can still smell the roses, and while they are still appreciated. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Page One. You're listening to Page One with LeVar and Mary on Block Talk Radio, your source for all the current topics and news you need to know. Here's LeVar and Mary. I actually lied. I said we'll be back in a few minutes. It was actually a few seconds. But anyway, you're listening to page one. <laughs> along with Mary. <laughs> we need to do a different commercial. I mean, we could do a different commercial. Like, should we do um, one for hemorrhoid cream or Pepto-Dismal? Nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upside down. Smoke and magnesia. You know what? Actually, you you joke about that, but I was actually going to start doing retro commercials 
on the show or retro PSAs on the show. Um, I'm okay with that. I like I, some I, of that stuff. It's fun. It, it's awesome. And, and you know what? If you have SiriusXM, which actually I'm going to come to you. Back, I'm going to come back to you in a few seconds on that. If you have SiriusXM, one of my favorite channels on SiriusXM is the uh, Radio Classics channel, which uh, Greg Bell is the host of, and they have a lot of old radio programs and shows. And one of the things that they do in between then, because it's SiriusXM, I mean, there's only like so few commercials that SiriusXM plays, they have retro commercials, like radio commercials from the golden days of radio. And it's so awesome to hear these things, because some of the best commercials, let's face it, Commercials now, let's be honest, kind of suck. I mean, there's only like a few that you really remember. Everybody remembers commercials from 30, 40 years ago because they were jingle-based pretty much or, you know, they hit home with the message. It seems it's missing now. I don't know. Maybe that's just Or me. they were Maybe so the corny that they, you have to remember them. I've got something for you. Yes. <laughs> if you were in Chicago, Eagle Man was like the huge Eagle Man. All right. So, by the way, you are a person that just got serious XM. Do you? How do you like it? Um, I am still playing through my through all the channels, but I am enjoying it for now. Um, we'll see. We'll see if I continue on in that endeavor. Um, it, there are a lot of channels. I just I can't seem to. <laughs> I need to like sit down and look at all the channels that they have, and then like pick out a few and 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 play with them before I go through and while I'm driving my seven minute drive to work, trying to figure out when to listen to. Are you overwhelmed by all the channels? I need a road trip. I need a road trip to be able to make my way through all the series some channels. <laughs> nice. Um, probably gonna skip over. Uh, one story here, but I'm going to head to the next because uh, I'm going to call this the half hour of uh, it seems dating news. Um, but Woo-hoo! there was <laughs> no, you're not going to like the next story because I think it's the one that you don't like. Um, <laughs> right. Well, we had a discussion about this, and I'm not going to go entirely into the full story, but there was a story from HuffPost Personal. Uh, this past week, and the headline was, I'm 63, she's 22, here's what most people get wrong about our marriage. Uh, and pretty much they said, for some time we've experienced discomfort, our union appears to cause others. And <laughs> it's a gentleman who, at the age of 60, pretty much uh, was living his life. Um, he, His adult children had been grown, he had been divorced from his ex-wife for over three years, and he was browsing an animal rescue page on Facebook that he contributed to when he noticed his now wife's post. And at that time, she was 20 and lived in the U.S., he sent her a message. And even though he was 40 years her senior, she replied. Their online communications eventually turned to all-night-long telephone conversations until one day he invited her to visit him. And before allowing the trip to happen, uh, her mother, herself almost 10 years his junior, checked him out on Google and agreed on a safe word for her daughter to use if she was kidnapped and forced into a lifetime of slavery. But after months <laughs> and changing pleasantries, uh, she went to go visit him, and a little more than a year later, having never left the Dominican Republic where he, she was at, she married him. 
And he talks about the social discomfort that his union appears to cause others and those thinking that, uh, you know, that it's based upon money or it's based upon this. And, you know, he pretty much says, you know, uh, you know, you'll find out that we have a lot of things in common. And it's those common things that pretty much live to, uh, you know, wider together. Um, so your first response to that was, <laughs> and you actually did make a pretty good point because I said, Hey, you know, uh, even on the reverse end, it's still the same way, but there is a thing here because it would be a lot different if he was a 60 year old and his wife was maybe, what did we say? Thirties or forties? Yeah, 40s. I, I think he, he, uh, I actually am friends with a couple that has a 20-year age difference, like almost exactly 20-year age difference, and they make it work, mostly because they met when they were, like, lower in the, in the age bracket. So I think they were 20, I think the younger was 20-something and, and the older was 40-something. Um, but the gentleman who was 40-something, as of like a 30-something year old, like he wasn't like, you know, sophisticated. And the 20-something girl, she was actually more of an old soul, so she acted more 30-something. So they did have a middle ground where they did find a lot of things in common. And it can work. I'm not saying it's easy, and it does look a little weird, but it can work. The point I brought up was that see how a 20-year-old has lived enough life and a 60-year-old has lived too much life to have them find enough in middle ground to bridge that gap. I think it's it's just too big of a gap. Maybe if this were she was 40 and he was, oh, God, he'd be what, 80? Uh, Yeah. Yeah then that would be something a little bit more, I mean, like Dick Van Dyke and his wife, it'd be a little bit more accepting because they were both further along in life. There's a 46-year age gap between life, uh, just to let you know. Yeah, so, so you're, okay, so almost 90. So, yeah, it, it'd be one of those things where I think later on in life it's an easier, and then on top of that, is he an active 60-year-old? Is he actually more closer to 50? There's a lot of things that go into um, what would work, but I just I, I don't see it. I can't wrap my head around it. It doesn't seem like that would be a good thing. I, I just, but that's also not my thing. So, I so if, knew. it's like my daughter dating my my son, or my daughter dating my son, my daughter dating my dad, or his friends. You know, like it just isn't that that's not right. Me wrapping things around. So when, you know, if you're, when, when your daughter turns 20, if she came home with a 61-year-old guy, you would not allow that? I, I don't know about not allow. I, I can't not allow my daughter to do live her life, but I sure would. Be, it would be very hard for me to just accept it. It would be yeah. very hard for me to sit there and, and look at it and go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I would be a very negative Nancy for a, a while, and it would take some convincing, 100%. Oh, man, you would be a negative Nancy on that? 
I know, right? Not a not a mischievous Mary anymore, a negative Nancy. Go up and ah. lighten up, Francis. Yeah. <laughs> I love that clip. <laughs> I used that this week. What did you? <laughs> At work, absolutely. It was it's perfect. Anyway. No, but I agree with you because that is a little bit disturbing. It's, it's, you know, hey, if they made it work and if her parents are okay with it, God bless them. Uh, but I do know mm-hmm. uh, that's the small percentile that would be okay mm-hmm. with it. It's like you said, uh, you really have to have, and I would think for him, you'd really have to have a lot of both, a lot of faith in what's going on because. As a 60-some-year-old, with a 22-year-old, like you said, she hadn't even lived her life yet. Um, some people are content with their life going in that direction. She is. And we're not here to, like, trash it. It's just it's one of those things where we're both saying, as far as maturity level is set, and I, and I know there's going to be a lot of people arguing, she could be a mature person and ready for that really. We uh-huh. know, but majority you still have a lot of living to do. He's lived his. And that by doing that, it kind of is, there's always that, that trap door of, you know, her wanting to go out and live, especially if you see enough of your friends doing stuff that you should be doing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's granted either way it is, but yeah, if it was different, it was, she was like, 30 and he was 60, I'd be like, hey, that's fine. But, yeah, at 20, and he had got in touch with her and he was 60, yeah, that's, that's harboring on a bit of the, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure 99% of the girls would have been like, you, pervert. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, God, hey, God bless you. If, if it works, it works. But, uh, kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Because I would think that if that's my daughter, I'm like, no, sorry, it ain't happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that, and it makes me wonder, too, because what would happen if it was, like, a young mom, too? If the mom was, like, maybe 41, 42, you know, your daughter is now dating somebody that's 20 years older than you. <laughs> and now well, you're. It's like if there's 20 years, let's say, you know, uh, our generation, our parents, our, our parents for our generation tended to have kids young. Mm-hmm. So they started young and either continued on and had a large family or if they had their family, like they're, they were young when they stopped as well. So 20 to 25 years old before I was born, that's my, that's my folks. So that would be 20 years. And then 20 years after I was born, I had, well, I, this is not the, I'm simplifying math and this is not correct. But um, 20 years after that, I had my daughter. That means that, my dad would be 60, I would be 40, he would be 20. That's not right. Like, let's back that up. Not, not, not right. But it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. And it's not, it's not easy to wrap my head around how somebody could look at someone and go, you know, that's a grandpa. That's and go, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm my own grandpa now. Like, really, I know people in my generation that are dating people in my dad's generation and, and age bracket, and it's working. 
mostly because they either started both when they were still younger, there was still a lot of life left to live, or they started when they were older and they've already lived their lives. So it's easier so to be. If I started dating an 18 year old, um, you would that to be strange? Well, I would think it would be strange for you, yes, but then I would also, it would be easier for me to wrap my head around you dating an 18 year old versus you dating a eight year old. No, no, that's not gonna. No. <laughs> I mean, and that's only ten, ten more years. Like that's it's easier to wrap your head around, but yeah. Right. Is it gotcha. Time? Gotcha. Uh, well, uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, I did say at the top of the broadcast that I would have an announcement uh, about one of our first big shows of the year. Um, still ahead, by the way, our live look at what's trending. And also uh, another story that uh, um, pretty much is an interesting study on friends with benefits relationships. But I want to announce to all of you uh, that uh, we have a 401 lounge on the 27th, of course, with Maserati Monica. But our first 401 lounge of 2021, because we're we're a few weeks away from the new year, so we've got to start planning. Uh, so to kick it off, I, by the way, I, I did the numbers tonight. It feels like this person's been on more than what they've been on, but making their fourth appearance on the 411 Lounge on Sunday night, January 3rd at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. <laughs> Uh, 
Also trending tonight, SmackDown, which actually starts uh, airing tonight from the Florida's Tropicana Field, uh, which is an interesting setup. I think I came in and saw like the last few minutes of that. That is uh, trending. And then also uh, one of the other things that's trending tonight is The Prom. The film adaptation of the Broadway musical The Prom hits Netflix today. Uh, I know Meryl Streep is in that one, and I do believe James Corden uh, and a lot of other people. So if you have Netflix, The Prom is out. I'm not like you know you know what I miss, and that sounds uh, really uh, strange. Is that it used to be New Music Tuesday? You know, we we get more geared up for like the movies that hit the theaters on Friday. So much stuff has come out online now and on different platforms. I've lost track. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what days things come up or what things are available. I've lost track over what's out now. It, it pretty much is like because you knew the movie theaters, you could look up your local AFC because it was a lot more that was put into it. Like, hey, these five movies are coming out this weekend. You know, people made a big, huge thing of it because you want they wanted you to go out and see it. But now, because it slides into, um, you know, these streaming services kind of like overnight, it's like almost like little to no fanfare, and it's not the fanfare it would be if it was a movie theater. I mean, heck, this morning there were like two or three major like albums that came out. Taylor Swift put out a new album, and it kind of broke last night on Twitter, and if it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't even have known. So, yeah, that seems to be yeah, a new way of like how things go now is that people tease it over Twitter and then it comes out. So I, I lose track. <laughs> but uh, keeping in mind with the half hour of our dating news for you, there was actually a study from SciPost.org, and it says uh, – Longitudinal study suggests that friends with benefits relationships work out best for those hoping to transition to friendship, which sounded really weird to me because I would think that a friends with benefits relationship, you would want, uh, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so a study published in Personal Relationships suggests that a friends with benefits relationship only plays out how people want it to 17% of the time. People whose relationships were most likely to evolve how they hoped were those who had anticipated transitioning to a regular friendship, which if you're in a FWBR, uh, why would you want that to go to a regular friendship? But that's where I got confused. But anyway, um, it kind of goes into the whole definition of it. But from a numbers perspective, an online survey was completed by 192 people currently in a friends with benefits relationship. All subjects were assessed during an initial survey where they were asked certain things about their FWBR, including how they hoped the relationship would evolve into friendship, into a romantic relationship, dissipate altogether, or stay the same. Most subjects, 48%, hoped that their relationship would stay the same, while a quarter of them, 25%, hoped that it would turn into a romantic relationship. Smaller numbers of people wanted it to transition into a regular Friendship free of sex, I don't know who would want that, at 12%, or no relationship at all, 4%. 
And around 10 months later, subjects took part in a follow-up survey where they were questioned on how their FWBR had evolved. And the researchers found that these relationships really evolved as subjects had hoped. Uh, subjects reported desire for how the FWBR would change only matched the outcome of the relationship measured 10 months later, 17% of the time. Uh, there was a lot of other interesting things with that, but are you shocked uh, at what you saw from that study? I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked and I am shocked. Uh, like the, the want to change from um, an FWD to, to just a regular friendship, that like to want to do that, that shocked me, the, the number of people that wanted that to happen. But having it go from either staying the same or devolving into a friendship um, over turning into a romantic relationship, that didn't surprise me. I don't think that – not that you have to put that boundary on that you have to have a romantic like component if you're going to broach the topic of sex. Um, but – and I do think that you need to be friends before you do that um, or have at least something in common, some kind of mutual attraction that's outside of the bedroom um, – but I don't know that if you don't put the boundary of a romantic relationship or this is where I want it to go and you just are like, hey, this this is just a booty call, um, I don't see that evolving into. I, I see a lot of hurt people that want that to do that and then not have it work out that way. Um, but I just don't think it would work out that way. Hey, it's not a good way. How you doing? <laughs> how you doing? I just don't see it working out that way. I, if you start out as a, as a friend with benefit, I don't see it evolving from there because you didn't put the right boundaries on it. The thing that shocked me, though, was that, you know, from looking at that, you know, some people were okay with it going back to, first of all, uh, let me break this down. So 48% had hoped that the relationship would stay the same, meaning that pretty much, uh, they hoped that it just stayed friends with benefits and nothing more, nothing less. Uh, 25% wanted it to turn into something romantic, which at that point I would not be shocked if those imploded <laughs> because if uh-huh. you both went into it just as the friends with benefits and you're going to be seeing other people and that person's just around, you know, just for – you know, a late night urge. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, see, I was trying to be, I was trying to be a lot more. Ain't you proud of big. How's that? <laughs> and, uh, and then the smaller number wanted to transition to a regular relation, regular friendship free of sex at 12%. So why get into one if you want it free of sex? You already had it that way. But. That made no sense to me. Maybe, I mean, like, part of that's been like I'm a friend of, with someone. We got a few AT Pride bed calls and took care of it that way, but then one or both of us ended up meeting somebody that we actually wanted a romantic relationship with, but still wanted to keep the friendship with the other person that we started with that was friends. Um, I can see that happening. I also see that being mostly guys. Um, <laughs> because 
again, women are highly more emotional about at least the attachment that is on sex from from past experience. Um, but yeah, I, I could see where that 12% comes from. Like, I could see where, where they were trying to say that, like, hey, I have this person. Yes, we have an FWD, but I have this other person that I met that I kind of want a relationship with, so I'm going to stop having sex with this other person, but I still want to be friends with them. So I could see where that devolving happens, but Yes, and and, uh, 4% said no relationship at all. So pretty much, hey, once I had it, I don't want it no more. End it. Done. We're good. (laughs) Um, Which I don't get, but hey, what is, what is. Okay, Syrah, Syrah. Well, my friend, I was going to ask you, did you have any shout-outs tonight? Um, Just to one person, well, not to one person, to an entire culture of people, but um, one person and one specific person um, to Alexander. I hope you have a very good Hanukkah. Thank you for being part of our group of people and uh, being part of of one of my people that I care about. So to Alexander, happy Hanukkah. You're here. Happy Hanukkah to all of you. And, of course, we will be back with you next Friday night, same time for now, until January 1st. We will be back with you at 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central. And then, of course, um, we've got Festivus ahead of us. We've got Christmas. But I guess the most important thing I'll say in passing tonight is that things go fast. Things get stressed. Take a little time to enjoy things that are going on around you. And as always, look out for each other. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Bye. to page one. Don't forget to get the latest show info on Twitter at News Comment BTR and add us as a podcast on Apple.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.